All right, good morning. How many of you noticed it's hot outside? And uh, our air conditioning cannot keep up. That is the bottom line. So suck it up, buttercup. Um, we are going to continue in the book of uh, James. You can do this at me all you want. I know what's going on with the AC. Uh, I'm just teasing you. It is hot, and uh, I apologize for that. We'll just keep doing our best. But I, I see your flag. I, I know you're... Uh, I know where you're at. Uh, We'll be in James chapter 5, but I'm going to back up and and kind of do a part of James chapter 4 that we missed a little bit last uh, week. You know, in James chapter 5, there are really about three different ways that you could go with this particular uh, message. And so I struggled with it all week long, and I chose, I felt led to choose the most uncomfortable path, which makes uh, the AC issue just all that much more illustrative. Uh, but I, I, it's uncomfortable, and I just want to warn you of that as we move into this. Um, I think it's, it's, it's what we need, but it, it is uncomfortable. Uh, next Sunday, we'll be leaving, uh, a team of us will be leaving to go to uh, Lebanon. We'll be there uh, July 2 to 11, working with our local partners there, and we are uh, actually leading a retreat for our local team there investing in them, uh, their development, their health, their rest uh, for about four days. And then we'll be working in, in our medical clinic and uh, center for women and children over there as uh, well. But I hope that you'll pray for us. There are eight of us. Angela's leading that team. She's graciously allowed me to come with her. And so I'm grateful, uh, grateful for that. Um, but pray for that. Uh, pray for that endeavor. While I'm gone, uh, we're starting a new series called Prophetic Words, and uh, we're going to look at two books of the Bible for the rest of the summer, Habakkuk and Malachi, so you might want to practice finding Habakkuk before next week, Uh, and our elders are going to preach the first uh, two messages in Habakkuk, so we have uh, Daryl Wittenberg and Gabe Maracoima, they're going to preach, we're really excited about that, and uh, I hope you'll come back, uh, uh, because these guys are... um, called by the Lord to preach, and it's a beautiful thing uh, that we have people in the body of Christ that will stand and preach. Um, So anyway, would you stand with me now, and uh, we'll look at James chapter 4, verse 13, to James chapter 5, verse 7. Here's what the scripture says. Come now, you who say, uh, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have not, your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your heart in a day of slaughter. 
You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. You'd be seated. See what I mean about the uncomfortable part? It'd be easier to be patient, therefore, brothers, into the coming of the Lord. Or is there any one of you suffering? Let him be pray. But today we're not going to take that, that road as we wrap up the book of James. So there's two sort of come now admonitions in this last section of the book of James. If you look at James chapter 4, verse 13, it says, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we'll, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit. And then in 5 verse 1, the second one, come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. And so there's two things that I want to look at that James talks about here. The first is how to properly live with the future in mind. And the second is the value of earthly treasure. And it's a warning that comes from uh, James. So let's start with how to properly live with the future in mind. James spells this out. I really don't even have to come up with well-crafted bullet points for you because his, his are expl- very clear here. He's teaching us how to live. And the first thing that he says is that we talk like we are in control. <laughs> we talk like we are in control. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit. Obviously, in James' time, he's, he's talking to business people Uh, In the first century, business is a big deal there, just like business is a big deal here, and both of these sections are are geared toward uh, people who are trying to make a profit, trying to uh, store up wealth. So the first thing he says, we talk like uh, we are in control, and this is an improper view of self and an improper view of God. He goes on to say, uh, we have no idea what the future holds. Now, this is uh, very true, and we know this when we think about it, but we don't live like this. We know that nobody knows exactly how much time they have in their life. Nobody knows exactly uh, what will happen tomorrow. Uh, We don't have an idea exactly as to what will happen this afternoon, yet we act like we're in complete control. Of everything, our schedules, our plans, our uh, our our destiny. In fact, and James is just bringing us back to the reality that we do not know what tomorrow will bring. He asks a question: What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time, and then vanishes. Uh, I have thought about that in the last few weeks often. Um, the first, I always think about it. We go to this place called Tel Gezer on that Israel experience, and we sit in a gate that is Solomonic, so it's like 3,500 years old. Uh, and I always think, you know, if I get to live to be 80, this 3,500-year-old gate says that life is really short. <laughs> you know, that 3,500 years isn't even very long. It's still sitting here. And so 80 years is just the mist, just like, just like James is saying. And so we have to come to grips as followers of Jesus that we are not in control and that our life is very short. And so because of that, James says we should live like this. You'll see it in verse 15. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. So it's this submission. It's like Jesus taught us how to pray. 
Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's this understanding that he is Lord, that he is God, that it's about his kingdom, that our life is a mist, and I, no matter what my schedule says, I can't hyper-control everything. I can't say with surety I'm going to go into this town or that town and make a profit. I can't do that. Instead, I need to live this way, uh, if the Lord wills because he's the sovereign king of the universe, and I'm his servant. James is turning it upside down and saying that this is the way that we should live. There's a term in Arabic, I've used it here before, Joel Trevino likes to change it to enchilada, but it's inshallah, it's Arabic, and it means uh, God wills, but you're going to remember enchilada from now on, but it's inshallah. And it's, it's literally, you'll hear it if you're walking with Arabic-speaking people, you'll hear this term all the time, inshallah, inshallah. It's just if the Lord wills. And it's one thing that I've taken away from them, that I should live more like if the Lord, uh, if the Lord wills, if it's, it, because it's, it's up to him. Um, and so we live like this. Now, James cuts to the heart of the matter here in verse 16 uh, of, of chapter four, he says, as it is, you boast in your arrogance, all such boasting is evil. So he's saying like this boasting, I'll go into this town and make this profit and that town and make that profit months from now. I've got it all planned out. I've got my five-year goal, my 15-year-old, 15-year goal, my retirement plan, all this, like boasting in that, finding your security in that is arrogance. It's prideful. And I'll just say we, including me, struggle with that, and James was saying specifically to these uh, these Christians, um, you need to understand that that is is evil. So, so verse seventeen. So, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. The right way to live is confessing dependence on God for everything, every day. It doesn't mean you can't plan, but it means that you do confess dependence. On God for everything, every day. Uh, I'm constantly aware, and I hope that you are too, that everything that we have comes from God. Everything that we have comes from God. He's our provider. He's our sustainer. He's our, our uh, everything. Everything that we have comes from God. And so James is reorienting their perspective. You know, if I, if I, tie, I used to have a coach. He would get mad in the, in the, kind of in the timeout sections of the game, and he would say, come on now, like that. This is what James is doing. Like, come on now. He's got two of them. And the first one is this. Don't live like you're in control. Come on now. Let's live in complete dependence on God, right? So that's the the first thing that James says here. But then he goes from like preaching to meddling. You know, it's like, it's like he starts really stepping on toes. So let's look at James chapter 5, 1 to 6. And I want to talk about the value of earthly treasure and echo James' warning here. So James chapter 5, verse 1, he says, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. So my very first question in this is like, okay, what rich people are we talking about? Because you know, like, rich is a perspective, Right? Like, I might not feel that I'm rich, but then when I go to Lebanon uh, next week, I'll really feel like uh, I'm rich, right? It's, it, in some ways, it's a, a perspective. Uh, there's always people with more, 
uh, than you. And so you can always say, I'm, I, I'm not rich, but for the most part, where you live uh, enables you to be classified by 90% of the world as, uh, as rich. But what rich people are we talk, talking about? Well, uh, chapter 5, verse 1, it goes on to say, these are the kind of people we're talking about. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you. This is harsh language, by the way. And will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. You've lived on the earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You've fattened your hearts on the day of slaughter. You've condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. So we're not just talking about people with money. We're talking about people with money that are self-indulgent and that take advantage of other people to increase their luxury and self-indulgence. Um, this, these are the rich people that we talk about here. Um, so let's look at what the Bible has to say about that in line with James' warning. It has a lot to say about this issue. Um, Jesus starts in Matthew chapter 6, 19 and 20. Listen to what he says. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. So what we're going to find in the Bible and what James is saying here is that is the problem with money is not money. The problem with money is your heart, right? And this is what Jesus is saying. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. So I've known people in my life that have a lot of stinking money, and their heart is not for having money. It's for a, a kingdom thing. Uh, I've also known people that have a lot of stinking money, and they are all about having more money. <laughs> That's their whole, whole life, right? Even, even if you consider yourself sort of middle class, if you're chasing money all, all the time, if that's your, your goal, your endeavor, your dream, uh, this has become an idol for you. This is, this is what Jesus is talking about. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. This is a heart issue. Matthew chapter 19, 23 to 24, and Jesus said to his disciples, truly I say to you, only with difficulty will the rich or a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. And I want you to hear that because in our security with our money, it becomes more difficult for us to place faith in God because on the underlying part, in, in the parts of our heart where we would, would typically place faith if we had nothing or if we were in dire straits, we say, I've got this. I can handle this. We'll ask, why do I need God? in those situations. And so Jesus is just saying it's, it's very hard. It's difficult. With difficulty, a rich person will enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. Uh, you've seen a camel? Have you? You've seen the eye of a needle? Right? I've seen all this scholarship that's like, oh, the particular gate in Israel that is called the eye of the needle, it's it's a little thinner, harder for the camel to go through. That's bunk. What Jesus was saying, it's hard for a big camel to go through a small eye of, an, of a needle. That's the metaphor that he's using. He's saying it's very difficult 
for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven because we come with our own security, with our own means. We haven't yet laid it down and said, everything I need comes from you. It, we haven't seen in our desperation our need for God. If you're, if you're, if you're not sure where you're going to get lunch, you have a different understanding of your need for God than if you know where your next meal is coming from. It's just, uh, it's just fact of the matter. Luke chapter 6, 24. It doesn't stop there. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. What, what Luke is, is echoing that Jesus said is be very careful that being rich is every, everything you'll ever have. It's like the best is going to get for you. Because if that's your idol, at the end of the day, it's going to be, it's going to, what James said, rot, it will corrode, and then you'll miss the kingdom of heaven. Woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, Paul wrote to Timothy, the pastor of Ephesus, which is a rich place, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It it is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. So it's not, note that it doesn't say for money is a root of all kinds of evil. It's not, that the problem is not money. The problem is the love of money. That is the root of all kinds of evil. It's, it's the condition of our heart related to money that can become the root of all kinds of evil. And in fact, it, it is the kind of thing that has caused people to wander away from the the faith. He also wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, 1 to 5, understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, holy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power, period, avoid such people. That's harsh, man. That's harsh words. Like everybody in Ephesus is like that, that, that Timothy's supposed to reach. They're, they're all Roman. They're all pursuing wealth and opulence. You know, in Ephesus, you can walk down the street and you see the houses of the of first, second, third century Ephesus. They're opulent. They're amazing. The archaeology proves that they were very wealthy. Do you know what they don't have in their houses? Most of them? Big kitchens. Like you'd think, everybody's going to eat. You'd have a kitchen, right? No, they eat out all the time. There are all these places to eat. In Ephesus, you just run, get it, come back, eat out. Because Does that sound like anybody you know? <laughs> we're, we're this way. We're like them in so many ways. And so Tim, Paul was just saying to Timothy, look, the people that you minister among, understand this, it's going to be difficult because people are going to love themselves, they're going to love money, they're going to be arrogant and all the rest, right? Uh, this, is, this is what happens when you love money more than you love God. It's kind of a second iteration to this big point that he's making here. That, that, that is the problem with this kind of greed is that it hurts people. Look at verses uh, 4, 5, and 6. It says, Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are, are, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived in, in the earth in luxury and self-indulgence. 
You fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. So what he's pointing out here to the business people of the day is that, look, you've worked so hard to live in luxury and self-indulgence that you're willing to go so far as to cheap out on your laborers so that you have more and they have less. Now, I know that never happens here in Texas, in Houston, but James had a problem with it, you know, and it's because Jesus had a problem with it, and he points out here that that greed is something that hurts people. Now, this comes exactly from the Old Testament, what Jesus and James are propagating for the people, Leviticus chapter 19, verse 13. That's what it says in the law. You shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages of a hired worker shall not remain with you all night until the morning. And otherwise, other words, pay them when they do the work. Give it to them. Don't rob them. Don't hold back on them. Give them what they uh, earn. Matt, Micah chapter 6, verse 8. He has told you, a man, what is good. What, what does the Lord require of you but, but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. So if you're wealthy, you're a business owner, you're, you're employing contractors, how do you do justice? Well, you do justice by paying what's deserved, uh, by loving people even and uh, how you uh, treat them when it comes to money. Malachi chapter 3, verse 5, then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, Against those who oppress the hired worker and his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourners and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. So you might read that and you might think, I can see the Lord of hosts being against the sorcerers. I can understand that. That's evil. But in the same category of sorcerers, we get those who oppress the hired worker and those who thrust aside the sojourner, people who are passing through who need hospitality. Uh, The writer of the New American Commentary says this, and I thought it was so appropriate. It it might be uh, uh, insight to you that withholding wages as a sin is not astonishing, but that it is listed among the works of those known to Israel as now condemned so harshly in the New Testament may be surprising to economically comfortable Christians. So we may not understand that the heart of God from the very beginning is for the poor, the sojourner, and the one in need. It's always, even Jesus modeled this, he said, as the sovereign king of the universe who came to heaven, born in the shepherd's cave and walked the planet, he said as he walked the planet, he had no place to lay his head. He was the sojourner. He was the poor. He was the oppressed. And so the problem with greed is that it hurts people. Thirdly, in the same category, uh, the indictment here with James, the indictment is toward the heartlessness of the the rich. So go back to verse 5. It says that you have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your heart in a day of slaughter. So I was thinking about that. What does it mean to have lived on the earth in luxury and self-indulgence? indulgence. What is James calling out here? He's calling out the indifference to the needs of others that is birthed in self-indulgence. So 
it's easy to uh, compare and judge when it comes to self-indulgence, is it not? You can say, like, I live in a, a mediocre place. I'm not self-indulgent, but that person or this person, that other person, they are very self-indulgent. You can't do that. You don't know what's happening behind the scenes, and the issue is with the heart. It's not an issue of the amount of money a person has. The issue is with the heart. So if your motive has been to live in luxury and self-indulgence, and you've only winked at the poor, winked at the heart of the, the, the kingdom, then James is definitely speaking to you, whether you have a lot or a medium-sized amount or a little. He says that you have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. This is like fattened sheep going to the slaughter. In other words, this is judgment. This is judgment that is coming. Jesus says it. James says it here. There's a judgment coming. Now, why? He's talking about people that say that they follow God and yet live in such a way that they act like they're in complete control and they live in luxury and self-indulgence for the purposes of fattening their own life. That's it. He says, if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, if you're going to be part of the church of Jesus Christ, then it's great if you have a lot of money or a medium-sized amount of money or little money. It all came from God, whatever you have. But understand this, if you love that more than you love God and your neighbor, you're way off base. If your time proves you love that more than God and your neighbor, you're way off base. If your, uh, I don't know, your, your accounting software proves you love that more than you love God and your neighbor, you're way off base, according to James and according to Jesus. So this is the hard nature of this teaching. And the question that we have to ask um, is, can you be rich and be faithful? Can you be rich and be faithful? Some of you are sitting here right now and you're like, it's a good thing I'm not rich. This doesn't apply to me. And if that's you've missed the point, you've missed the point. If you know where your next meal's coming from, if you have a roof over your head, clothes on your back, you're, you're taken care of. You know, be careful to compare yourself to someone else and say, I'm not rich. Um, most of the world would look at you and say, you are. You are. Um, so can you be rich and be faithful? What do you think? What did Jesus think? Well, there's, there's a tension here. You've got things like it's harder for a rich man to go through the eye of a needle, you know, than, than, it, than it is for a camel to go through the eye of a needle to enter the kingdom of heaven. You have Jesus, this rich young ruler, comes and says, what, what should I do to be saved? Follow the law. He says, I've done all these he says, okay, go sell everything you have and come follow me. The rich young ruler, he walks away sad, that ruler, that rich young ruler. Why? Um, because his money had his heart. His money had his heart. So can you be rich and be faithful? The answer to the question is yes. You can be rich. You can be very rich and be faithful. 
The issue is an issue of the heart. Does your money have your heart? Does your money control your every move? Do you find all your security in money, in the making of money? Or, or does God have your heart? Do you love him with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength? Do you love your neighbor as yourself? And you have this pile of money, and you're able to help infuse the purposes of God and the world with this pile of money that you, you have for, for whatever reason. You're like, I worked hard for it. I'm with you. I understand you work hard for it. I'm just saying God gave you the brain to do the stuff you've done. He's given you the hands. You did the stuff you did with the feet to go the direction you've gone, the people in your life to help you get there, uh, all those kinds of things, right? There is no such thing as a self-made man or woman. None whatsoever. So just the question is the issue of the heart, right? Um, my, I was a kid. I used to get allowance. I remember one time we got a raise from a dollar to a dollar fifty a week. Has anybody ever been there? You know, like, woo! I can buy a baseball card. It's so good. And my dad would make me. He taught me. It felt like making. He taught me to give a portion of that. And it taught me, as I look back, then I had a lawn mowing business later, like got older, and I started raking. You know, you can make a lot of money mowing lawns in Houston, Texas. And uh, I started making pretty good money for a 16-year-old kid, you know? And, uh, and he still, like, would say, like, are you giving 10%? Or are you saving 10%? You know, are you living on the rest? It's like, eh, it's not a magic formula, but it taught me, like, everything that I have comes from God, and I need to use the funds that I have, whatever I have, to infuse the kingdom of God for the purposes of God, for his glory, and for the good of people. And never, ever should I love money because it won't last. And as a pastor, I can tell you over time that that's proven to be true. I don't know how many funerals I've done in my life, but I, I have... I have done funerals for the poorest of the poor and the richest of the rich. And being rich doesn't mean you die with a smile on your face. I can tell you that. And being poor doesn't mean you die with a frown on your face. I can tell you that. Uh, it's more related to how you go out is where you stand with God, how you are in relationship with God, where your heart is. And that's James' point. Every one of these rich men and women that I've seen die, they pass on their money. Like, they don't take it with them. It goes somewhere else. Maybe they've allocated it particular directions, hopefully for kingdom of God issues, purposes of God issues, all those kinds of things. But no one takes that with them. It really does only last in a temporal way. And so when Jesus says, store up your treasures in heaven, where, where moth won't eat away at that, where rust won't corrode at that, just ask yourself, like, where is your heart and where am I storing up uh, treasures? You can be a billionaire and be faithful to Christ. You can have nothing and be faithful to Christ. You can have nothing and, and, and be so focused on getting $10,000 in your bank account that you can become unfaithful to Christ. And you can have a lot of money, and, and only, it's never enough, and be unfaithful to Christ. It's not the money. 
It's our heart. And I think James understood that, and that was the call. Come on now, is what he was saying. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? And uh, let's just ask the Lord to speak to us. Father, we, as a church, we come before you right now, and we just, we just open our hands, and we say, um, by way of confession, that we know that everything we have comes from you. And when we're lacking, we confess that we can come to you, and you will provide. Father, I pray that you would forgive us where we have made our treasures our idols, God, for everyone who has been under this preaching today, under this teaching, everyone that will ever hear it online or recorded, God, I pray that by your spirit, you would speak to them at the heart of the matter, the issue of the heart. Lord, would you, um, would you give us a heart that loves you primarily, first and foremost in all things? That is about your purposes, that says we want to love our neighbor as ourselves. And Lord, we thank you for every bit of provision that you've given us, and we pray that you would use it for your glory and for the good of people. God, I thank you for the way you bless people and even gift people who have this ability to to make money. God, I pray that you would guard their hearts. Um, God, Keep their eyes fixed on you. Father, I pray that you would protect anyone and everyone from the lie uh, that, that is uh, comparison to other people's, for saying I'm exempt from this teaching because I don't really have a lot. God, help us to recognize everything you've given us. It's a lot. And Father, I pray that you would own our hearts, that you would Uh, we would be your servants, and that you would use every bit of us, our head, our heart, our hands, our feet, our bank account, whatever, for your glory and for the good of people, and we pray it all in Christ's name, amen.